Praise the Lord. If you brought your Bible, go please to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we will be reading out of verse 9 and 10 this morning. You can look it up on your digital device there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Tonight, or today, we conclude our sermon series called First. We talked about first build an altar, the importance of making a place of commitment to God. We talked about building a foundation and the importance of having a foundation and a life built on Christ. We talked about facing our opposition, how important it is to face the challenges that will come our way in the year 2016. Last week we talked about first being a man and the importance of being a committed man and and a woman of God. And today we're going to talk about living with the end in mind. Everyone who sets out to do anything has an objective or an end in mind. If you're going to run a race, you have the end of winning in mind, hopefully. I don't think anybody starts a game in order to lose. If you go on a vacation, you have an end in mind, an objective. And so you and I are on this Christian journey. We're on this journey of life. And I want to challenge you this morning to live with the end in mind. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be rewarded for his deeds done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you once again. As we come to your word, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that you would speak to us today by the power of the Spirit, that you would cause this word to fall as seed into the fertile soil of our hearts. And I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God with power and with clarity this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're talking about living with the end in mind. I think any of us, if we start something, we like to finish it. Maybe we don't finish it, but at least that is the goal. And I don't know about you, but if you're very competitive, then you're one of those people who begins with the objective of winning. The Apostle Paul said no one runs except to win. He said we don't box as though we are boxing the wind. We don't make an effort for for no reason, but rather we have a purpose and an objective. And he lays before us a great objective, a great mission statement for any person. He says, it is my ambition, my passion, my goal in life, my highest aim, my chief pursuit to be pleasing to the Lord. How many of you would agree with Paul on that? He said, this is what it's all about for me. When you boil it all down, this is what I want to be, what I want to do. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And I believe that in the core of every one of your hearts this morning, there is a desire to be pleasing to God. There is a desire to be honoring to Him. 
And so this morning I want to challenge you as we talk about living with the end in mind. And we're going to look specifically at a doctrine of the Bible which doesn't get uh, talked about too much these days. But which is very important for us to consider. We're going to look at the doctrine of coming judgment. Now you might say, Pastor, I don't really want to hear about all that. Uh, I want to hear about the uh, the bunnies in the field and the uh, the, dan- the dandelions. I don't want to hear about coming judgment. But the Bible assures us that there is a day of coming judgment. There is a day of reckoning, a day of accounting. The Apostle Paul said to the uh, to the uh, men on Mars Hill in the book of Acts, chapter seventeen. He said, therefore. God, having looked at times of ignorance, has set a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Now, I want you to notice that. He said, God has set a day. The day that God will judge the world has already been set. The calendar has been circled, and God is not going to miss that appointment. And guess what? Neither will you or I. We are all going to have to stand at that day of judgment. A day that has been set from eternity past by Almighty God. And let me just make mention today that this is, this is a, a something we should not be surprised by. There is a, a, a close to all things. There is an end of all things. And God one of these days is going to wrap up the entire human story. And we're going to come before Him an answer for our lives. The Bible says that we will give an account for every idle word. That means every word we've spoken. Think about that. God's not just going to require us to give an account for one of the days of our life, but rather for all the days of our life and for every word that we have spoken. God is a divine accountant and He is extremely exacting in His accounts. My grandfather used to say, God does not pay every Friday, but when he pays, he pays very well. When God gets around to doing what he has promised to do, he does it to the very letter. Now, there are a lot of judgments talked about in the Bible, but we're going to talk about two this morning. And I want you to have your Bible open. This is going to be kind of like a more of a Bible study than preaching. I want you to get into your spirit what God has said in his word concerning our future, concerning the judgment of this world and the judgment of our lives. Now, we have before us the first judgment. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the first judgment I want to talk to you about today. And I'm going to spend about 80% of this message talking about that judgment. Because I expect all of us to be at that judgment. That's my goal and my prayer that all of us would be at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you notice what Paul said there? He said, we must all appear. If you want to circle or underline that word all, that would be very important for you to do so. This is the judgment seat of Christ. So let's begin by asking this, this question. Who will be at the judgment seat of Christ? Who is it that's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Well, there's two groups of people. First of all, Jesus Christ will be there. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will be there. The one that died on the cross for our sins. He will be the judge on that day. Jesus said in the book of John, There is coming a day when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice. And he said, Because the Father has given all judgment unto the Son. 
Now Jesus said that he did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the judge, that the world would be saved through him. He said the world was already under judgment. They were already in condemnation. So he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. But someday he's going to stand as judge over the world. You see, our judge will not be an angel because an angel would not be able to sympathize with human weakness. Our judge will not be merely a, uh, will not merely be God. For God, uh, had to become a man in order to be like us. So our judge will be the God who became a man. It will be Jesus Christ, the eternal sovereign of all of the universe. And somebody else will be there. You and I will be there at that judgment seat of Christ. The believers, all believers, from the first believer in human history to the last believer in human history will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if he's going to call us alphabetically. I don't know if he's going to call us by age or he's going to call us by city or by church. I just know that we're all going to get a date with God and Jesus is going to be our judge. He's going to stand before us and we're going to stand before him in judgment. Isn't that a, a prospect worth thinking about? This is an unavoidable fact. And you and I may have 70 or 80 years to avoid it, but someday we are going to stand before Christ. And it's going to be believers who stand in this judgment. Now the next question you should ask is, Pastor, when is this going to happen? I want to be ready for this day of reckoning. I want to be ready for this day of judgment. Well, the Bible tells us and teaches us that this uh, judgment seat of Christ is going to occur after the rapture of the church. Someday, perhaps not too distant from today, Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. He is going to come to rapture the body of Christ. Maybe that word rapture is not something that you're very familiar with. But the Apostle Paul writes and he says that there's coming a day when there are go- there's going to be a catching away of believers. Jesus is literally going to return and in the clouds with the sound of an archangel's voice and the sound of a trumpet, he's going to call the church into his presence. And those saints who have died in Christ are going to be raised to life in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Somebody say amen. amen. And then the Bible says that you and I who are alive and remain will be caught up. That word caught up is the word rapture that we get out of the Latin. We'll be caught up, raptured to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You sang about it, haven't you? I'll fly away some glorious morning. I'll fly away. Maybe you didn't even know what you were singing about, but we were singing about the rapture of the church. We're singing about that day when Jesus is going to come to take the bride into the presence of the Father. He's going to take us home. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that day. I am waiting for Jesus to return. You know, Jesus said, when you see all of these signs being fulfilled, he said, look up because your redemption draweth near. I want to tell you, church, look up because our redemption is nearer than when we first began. And some people have stopped preaching about the coming of Christ. And many in the church have no idea about the coming of Christ, but it is an inescapable reality and it will occur in human history now if you if you and I have already died at that point we're going to be raised and we're going to be given a brand new glorified body and in a moment we're going to go from death to eternal life 
and then those who are alive and still on the earth. Who knows? I might be preaching at the moment of the rapture and I might just be caught up and along with you and in that moment, our bodies, which are given to sickness and decay and aging, will be suddenly changed and made into the likeness of the body of Christ. And we're going to be completely whole, completely healed. I, I know that I will no longer need these glasses to see you. I'll probably be a little taller too, I just imagine, that some things are going to go my way at the, at the moment of the rapture. And we're going to be glorified and taken into the presence of the Lord. And after that, we're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. So now we need to ask the question, what's this judgment about? We know who's going to be there. We know when it's going to happen. But what's it about? Why are we going to this judgment? Well, the good news is that this judgment is not a judgment to determine whether you're going to heaven or hell. If you make it to the judgment seat of Christ, you're in heaven, all right? You have come. You've gotten through the finish line. If you are at the judgment seat of Christ then you are there for the purpose of receiving your rewards. This will be a judgment not to determine heaven or hell, but a judgment to determine your rewards. Now, you need to be asking, how do I earn rewards with God? What are these rewards going to be based upon? Well, I want to tell you this, first of all. You cannot get to heaven by doing good deeds. The only way you can get to heaven is by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the people who arrive at the judgment seat of Christ will be those who have put their faith in Christ as their Savior. Not in a church, not in a religion, not in a preacher, not in some kind of degree or accomplishment, but they have put their trust and faith. In the, per, in the finished work of Christ at the cross. They have said to, to God, God forgive me of my sins. And they have received the forgiveness of their sins and the cleansing of their sin by the blood of Jesus. And those will be the ones who are present before Christ to receive a reward. You know the Bible said that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Did you know that? Say yes if you knew that. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Some of you have a concept of God. You think God is only uh, out to punish you for making a mistake. But the reality is that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And if you've been walking with the Lord long enough, you know that God is good to His own. God takes care of His children. God blesses us with so many gifts and, 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 and things at times that we don't even deserve or that we don't even know uh, consciously that, that He's doing it, but He brings us blessing. He brings us reminders of His grace, of His mercy, of His kindness because He is by heart by nature a rewarder of those who diligently seek him now our, this judgment is going to be based on our works for the apostle paul says we must all appear at the judgment seat of christ so that each one may be rewarded for his deeds done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad now that word bad there doesn't refer to evil it doesn't mean to doing evil works it refers to to bad fruit. It literally could be translated that this reward is going to be based on our fruitfulness, whether good or good for nothing. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Are you bearing good fruit or good for nothing fruit? The kind of fruit that looks good on the outside but isn't good for anything. Or are we bearing the kind of fruit that is good? You know that God expects us to bear fruit? Say amen. 
Did you know that God expects us to bear good fruit? Say amen. Did you know God expects us to bear a lot of fruit? Say amen. These are God's expectations upon his children. He's going to judge the deeds that we have done in the body. He's going to test them for quality and for quantity. And above all, he is going to judge our motives. He is going to judge the work of our hearts and the intention of our hearts. Now, I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to find 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and find verse 11. All right, did you bring your Bible to church this morning? Let's go there. If, if not, just take some notes and, and go look at it later. Are you there? 1 Corinthians three eleven. It says, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed as with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now notice what Paul says here. That God is going to judge our works. And our works are going to come down to two categories of things. He said our works, our deeds done in this life may be like gold, silver, and precious stones. Or they might be like wood, hay, and stubble. You say, what's stubble? It's that lint that comes out of your dryer. It's just the stuff that's left in your pocket. right? It is a wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, this is a beautiful thing the Bible says. We don't need to wait for the day of judgment because we can judge ourselves. We can look at ourselves in the mirror and we can say, are my works like gold, silver, and precious stones? Or are the things I do more like wood, hay, and straw. Well, what's the difference? The Bible said that our works are going to be judged by fire. What happens to wood, hay, and straw when you put them in a fire? They go up like nothing, right? Poof, and they're gone. And that is what some of our works are like. These are the works that are done with an evil motive or a motive for personal gain or personal recognition. And that kind of motive is going to be burned up in the presence of God. But then some of our works would be like gold. Silver, precious stone, quality, the kind of thing that God loves, the kind of work that was done for the glory and praise of God. You know those things we do when nobody's looking, when we honor God with our life, we honor God with our body, we honor God with our mind. You know those things we do when nobody's looking, when we're honest with our taxes, when we're, when we're honest about our money, when we're honest about other people's money, and we, we do what's right even when nobody's looking. God is going to reward the motives and intentions of our heart. He's going to reward us for being faithful and diligent in serving Him and serving one another. Can I just ask you an honest question this morning? What kind of works are you producing in your life? Is it wood, hay, and straw? Or is it gold, silver, and precious stones? For you see, the fire on that day is not going to be a big oven that God has in heaven where He's going to put your file through and see what emerges. But rather the fire is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You might remember if you ever read the book of Revelation, the Bible says that when John saw Jesus, it said His eyes were like a flame of fire. 
Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus' eyes were on fire, but it means that his eyes are able to transcend every fiber of our being. When Jesus looks at you, he looks right through you to the core of who we are. He looks right through your intentions, right through your motives, right through your actions and your deeds, and he sees the heart of the matter. And that will be the fire that we will be tested by. You and I are going to stand before him on that day. And He is going to look at us and He's going to reward us according to the works that we have done. Now I want to list for you five rewards that the Bible talks about. Specifically, the rewards of the believer will be crowns. The old chorus said, when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. I had a little, a little boy in a children's church when I was a, a, a teacher, and he would sing, when the battle's over, I wish I were a clown. And I said, no, no, it's not I wish I were a clown. It's we shall wear a crown. When the battle is over, we shall wear a crown. We're going to have a reward. Well, the first reward is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. Now, don't... Don't go there necessarily, but just jot that down. This is the incorruptible crown. Notice that this crown will be given to those who run the race of life, the Christian faith, faithfully. This will be the incorruptible crown that is reserved for those faithful believers who finish the race of faith. Now, friends, you and I have to be aware of this fact. God honors faithfulness. God loves faithfulness and he rewards faithfulness. He is a faithful God. The Bible said that he is faithful even when you are and I are not faithful because he cannot deny himself. He is a faithful God and he faithfully rewards the faithful. This will be a crown of an incorruptible crown. You realize friends that you and I are on this race and some of the people that you started running with when you became a Christian, aren't running with you anymore. They have fallen on the wayside. They have, they have, uh, they have uh, quit the race. They've decided it was too hard or not worth their time or that they couldn't do it. But here you are, still running the race of faith, taking one step after another. Friend, it doesn't matter if you are as, as fast as, a, as the hare or as slow as a tortoise. What matters is that you get across the finish line. Put one foot in front of the other every day and serve God faithfully. Do the best you can where you are with what God has given you and make the best of the life that He has given you. Run the race with endurance. Make up your mind. 2016, I'm going to run the race with endurance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all that I can to be faithful to God. The Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches and he said, Be true to Christ. Oh, how many have been untrue to Christ. They've given up along the way. But here you are this morning. You've decided I'm going to be true to Christ. And friend, there is a great reward for those who are true to Christ. The second crown we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. This is a crown of rejoicing. This is a crown of rejoicing. And this crown, the Bible teaches us, is for the soul winner. This is a soul winner's crown. How many soul winners we have in here? If you are a soul winner, then you will receive a, rejo a, rejo a crown of rejoicing. Why? Why is it called that? Well, the Bible says that when a sinner repents, 
There's a party going on in heaven. There is joy going on in heaven for one sinner that repents. Just one person that turns to God and heaven bursts into a, a party. They just have a great time of celebration and joy because somebody's soul has been converted from death to life, from lost to found, and they have been made a new life, a new person in Christ. And when you and I participate in that, we are going to have a crown of rejoicing. If you have never led somebody to Christ, let me just tell you, the moment you do it once, you will be hooked. There's nothing in the world like knowing that you are able to lead somebody into into Christ. You are able to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just put this in your heart because you are a witness wherever you are. You are a witness whatever you do. Whether you say a word or not, you are a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So be light in the midst of darkness. Be, be a, a witness of the goodness of God in your life. Let your light so shine before men that they will glorify God and that they will say, hey, this is a real thing, the real deal. This is something that God has done that no man could have done. And this, this power to be a witness was given to us by the Holy Spirit. You and I have the power to be a witness. You see, this crown is the simple result of doing what the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do, to be a witness for Christ. You can be a witness in your life by just simply being a person of integrity in your job. You can be a witness by being a person who is always honest and who is always willing to take responsibility for your actions. You can be a witness when you open your mouth and tell people what God has done in your life. And the end result will be that someday when we get to heaven, I believe we're going to meet people from Honduras, people from Guatemala, people from across the street over here in Beville who are going to say, hey, I came to know Jesus because you gave money so that that missionary could preach the gospel. I came to know Jesus because you shared your faith with me. I came to know Jesus because you made, you made uh, me aware of the power of God in your life. Kingsway Church, we must be a, a church with a witness. We must be a church on fire for the fame of Christ in our day. The third crown is the crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12. This is a martyr's crown. This crown will be awarded to those who literally lay down their physical life for the sake of Christ. For those who die for Christ. This crown will be given to them. This will be a crown that will, that will represent the fact that they laid down their physical body in order to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you and I don't live in a persecuted country. We may not die a martyr's death, but let us live a martyr's life. Let us live the life of one completely sold out to God, completely sold out to Jesus, a life so full of passion for God that we can say with Paul, it is my ambition to be pleasing to the Lord in every respect. The fourth crown, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. This is a crown of righteousness. And this crown is given to those who love His appearing. Did you know there's a crown, especially for people who just are waiting on the Lord's return? They love His appearing. You know, the, the, the coming of Christ has been, has been moved out of the conversation of the church in the last few years. Not too many preachers are talking about it anymore. But I want you to know, friend, that God rewards those who are expecting 
the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a little boy, my brothers and I, my father, he bought a very little house and then he added a room onto it. And the room he added onto it was so small, it'd, be, it'd basically be a walk-in closet, all right? And uh, it just about fit one, one uh, twin bed. And, and uh, the, we were all very small. My mom said, George, the boys aren't going to fit in this room. He said, by the time they grow up, Jesus will have come and they won't need this room anymore. He was anticipating the rapture. Well, as we grew, the house grew. And Dad just kept adding on rooms to that house because uh, he was expecting Jesus to come at any moment. And you know, the Apostle Paul, when you read the New Testament Every time you hear Paul talk about the coming of the Lord, you can taste it. He is ready, anticipating the coming of Christ. And so you and I should be anticipating the coming of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Peter said, there's some people, maybe somebody in this room that says, well, I've been hearing that my whole life. Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus hasn't come. What's up with that? Well, let me tell you, friend, that Jesus hasn't come because he is very patient. He's giving people an opportunity to get in the door. He is a God of grace. He's willing that no man should perish, but that all should come unto the knowledge of repentance and have life in him. And so he's waiting on that. But the day is coming when he will come and that door of grace will be closed. And then there's number five. This is my favorite crown. All right, this is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. This is a pastor and elder's crown. That's why it's my favorite. This is a pastor's crown. It's a crown given to those who are shepherds and overseers of the body of Christ. It's a crown that Jesus is going to give to those who have accepted the call to be an under-shepherd, to be responsible for watching over the souls of his flock here on the earth. And I thank God that there are some of us in this church who have been called of God to oversee this flock. And we're going to receive the elder's crown. Now listen to what Paul says. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says there in verse 14, If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Listen, this is what it literally means. There are some people who will get no reward. They're going to stand in the presence of Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and all of their works are going to be wood, hay, and straw. Gone. Nothing left. Nothing to to, uh, reward because their life has been lived for self. It's been lived for their own pleasure and their own desires, the satisfying of their own will. And so they're going to be saved, the Bible says, as by fire. And they're going to, they're going to be saved, in other words, by the skin of their teeth. They have, they've gotten to heaven because of the grace of God. But they haven't done anything with that grace in order to be rewarded for it. And they have, they have entered into heaven, but they have no reward. Now you might say, Pastor, I don't really care about a reward. I just want to get to heaven. Now you can give me a wiry, a, a, a rusty halo if you want. Just let me get into heaven, Pastor. Well, let me tell you why you're going to want a crown. There's a magnificent scene that the Apostle John talks about. He says that Jesus is sitting on the throne. Can you imagine that? I can't wait for that day when I get to see Jesus sitting in majesty 
on the throne of glory. It's not going to be Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad. It's going to be Jesus Christ. The Bible says that every knee will bow to Him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a glorious day when we see Him who was pierced for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. He whose life was given in ransom for our own life. There He'll be in that glorious throne surrounded by light. You know, the Bible said there's no need for the sun in eternity because Jesus Himself will be the light of that city. What a glorious sight that will be. The Scripture says that the elders take their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus in an act of worship. You see it, church, when you and I are in heaven, the only thing we'll have to give to Him will be those crowns which we have received as a reward for the life we have lived on this earth. I don't know about you, but I want to have a great diadem to, de- to deliver at the feet of my Savior. I want to put before Him my gratitude and praise for His life given in ransom for my life. And yet there will be some who will have no crown to give, who will have nothing to offer. They'll be saved as by fire. They might even smell a little bit like smoke. They just barely made it in to the other column. And, and praise God they're there. Right, but here's what I want you to know. That God sent His Son to the cross to do more than just get you out of the loser column into the winner column. He sent, he did, he did more than send Jesus to the cross just so that you could go from hell to heaven. No, he sent him to the cross so that your life could make a difference in this life. So that your life could make a difference on this earth. So that you could be salt and light in the midst of this generation. And so I want to challenge you. Are you living with that day in mind? Do you have that day before you? It should be constantly before our eyes as we consider that there is an end that is coming and we're going to stand before God. Now I want to talk about the next judgment, the last one. And this one I'm not going to spend much time on because I hope none of you will be at this judgment. But just in case that some of you haven't heard about this judgment, I want you to know about it right now. Revelation chapter 20, if you would go there, last book in the Bible, second to last chapter. This is one of the final events of human history. Uh, Chapter 20 of the book of Revelation and verse 11. I'll give you a moment to find it because I want you to see this with your own eyes. It says, then I saw a great white throne. Say that with me. Great white throne. It's great because it is the supreme throne of all thrones. Every other throne, every other dominion is subject to the will of this throne. It is a great white throne. White because it is the holiness of God that is ruling and reigning from that throne. Absolute moral perfection is the judge upon that throne. And it is great, and it is white, and it is final. It is the supreme court of all of the universe. Listen, friend, the great white throne is the last and final judgment. It is the supreme court of all human history. There are no appeals beyond this throne. If you arrive at the great white throne, friend... You are already eternally lost. That is why I must tell you about it today. Because I want to forewarn you. There may be some of you who are on a fast track to this judgment. And I want you today to know that there is another way. Now listen, 
It says that he saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, speaking of Jesus, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. That means that no one will be able to run away from this throne. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Listen, friends. You and I, if we die as a believer, our body is going to be resurrected and we're going to live eternally in, in the presence of God. But if you die without Christ today, your soul will go to a place of torment. And it will, it will be there until the day of the great white throne. At which time every person who died outside of Christ will be resurrected as well. And they will stand in physical judgment before the living God. The Bible said that death, that death gave up the graves. All men and women were brought to judgment. They were resurrected. They will be resurrected. The Bible says that the great and the small. That means that this judgment will be for Alexander the Great and Alexander the Nobody. Everybody who has rejected Christ will come before this judgment. The great, the small, the wise, the unwise, the rich, the poor. It won't matter what your, what your state was in life. There's going to be a day of reckoning. And we have to give an answer to God. The scripture tells us that the books were open. And then the book was open. These books refer to the records of our lives. And then there is a book. It is the, the roster of eternity. Upon whose names have been written those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And whoever's name is not in that book will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. Now you know, I don't get any pleasure out of talking about that. Neither does God. The Bible said God created hell for the devil and the angels, his, and the fallen angels. He didn't create hell for you. But that is the destiny which any man or woman will find if they do not acknowledge Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. The Bible tells us that, that Hades will give up its dead. That's the place of torment. And then, uh, those who are in, in, in Hades right now, it's like being in jail. They're just awaiting a day of sentencing. And they will be sent into a lake of fire which will burn forever and forever. The Bible said this is the second death. They will be judged, each one according to their deeds. And verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There will be no appeal at this, at this judgment. There will be no second chance. God is a God of second chances. And third and fourth chances. But those chances are why you're in the body. Why you are alive, friend. The moment you leave this earth, you will have no more time to change the way you lived while you were on this earth. So you must acknowledge today that if you hear His voice, this is the day God is calling. Don't put Him off for tomorrow. He's calling you today. He says, today, if you'll come to me, I'll receive you. I'll take you in. I'll be a father to you. 
and you will be a son to me. For you see, friends, God has prepared for us a way of escape that we might not find judgment as those will find who rejected Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross. And on the cross, he suffered the judgment of God for our sake. He suffered hell's wrath for our sake so that you and I could come to him by faith and avoid the penalty of, of hell and judgment and find eternal life in Christ. That is the offer that God makes to you today. That if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say tomorrow. Don't say another day. Don't say maybe. Say yes to Christ. Make a decision today. I want to live for Christ. I want it to be the ambition of my life to be pleasing to the Lord. And I believe someday that if you do that, if you give your life to Christ, you will avoid the great white throne. And you will avoid the pain and sorrow that comes with living a life without God. Today you can have an abundant life in Jesus. You can have a judgment-free life in Christ. The kind of life that is, that is able to impact the lives of others for the glory of God. So friends, can I ask you this question in closing? What are you doing right now that will last forever? Is the life you're living going to have an eternal impact? Is it the kind of life that's going to make a difference in eternity? Or you see, if we get 70, 80, or 90 years on this earth, what's after that? An eternity that you and I are going to have to live and enjoy or else not enjoy based on decisions we've made in this life. What are you doing today that's going to impact eternity? Who are you influencing today for eternity? Who are you influencing for the glory of God? Are you a witness in your, in your place, in your sphere of influence? I ask you this question as well. Are you living a life that counts? Are you living a life that counts for the glory of God? I don't mean are you making money. I don't mean are you comfortable doing the things you're doing. I don't mean are you getting a degree or, 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 or achieving a career goal. I mean is your life counting for eternity? Is it counting for what's after this life? That is the important question. Because we're all going to live longer in eternity than we're going to live on this earth. And today, God calls us to remember, before you do anything else, decide to live with the end in mind. What is the end? I want to live a life that brings glory and praise to God. I want to hear in the end my Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And you and I can live that life and we can have that reward if we'll make up our mind to do that in Jesus' name. I want you to stand with me if you would. I want to give you a moment to reflect upon what you have heard this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you would, everyone in this, in this room, just bow your heads for a moment. Start responding to God with what you have heard today. I want to make two invitations. My first invitation is to you, friend, that would say, Pastor Isaac, I don't know about all that. I'm not ready for eternity. I'm not ready for the day when I'll have to answer to God for my life. You say, Pastor Isaac, I'm lost. I don't have any direction in my life. Friend, 
that's you today, I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ who can save your soul and change your life. If you say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. I want to make things right with God this morning. Right where you are, I want you to just lift your hand if that's you. You say, Pastor, I want to make things right with God this morning. I want to live for Him. Anybody in this room that would hear the voice of God saying it's time to repent. It's time to say yes to Christ. It's time to make a commitment of your life to Him. Now I want to make a second invitation. This is to the body of Christ. Are you living for the glory of God? I want us to come into this altar and this Sunday make a commitment that the year 2016 will be a year in which we do everything we can to impact eternity for the glory of God. Would you come? Let's fill this altar with commitment this morning. Let's fill this altar with decision to be pleasing to the Lord, to make it our ambition to be pleasing to Christ. If you raise your hand, would you come as well? We want to pray with you. Come on, church. This is your chance. Make a decision this morning. I want to live for Him. I want to die for Him. I want to be fully His, completely committed to His purpose. God has made you for more. He's called you for more. And today He challenges us to make a decision.